Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to how God's preached word affects every moment of our daily lives. This sermon was preached by Pastor Tim Barone at Holy Cross Lutheran Church. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how, many, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, He began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we uh, open up again to your word, uh, this wisdom that reveals to us your kingdom and your heart. We pray, Lord, that our hearts would be softened to hear your word and to think about these things that you have said to the world. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would cause new life to occur in us, that we would be given power, and grace to do your will. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our King and our Savior. Amen. So we have um, seen quite a few things in Matthew 18, and this is kind of where Matthew 18 ends, this story of um, unforgiveness. It's a warning or an attack against a mindset that those who claim to be Christians might have. Or Christians might fall into. And these words are some of Jesus' strictest words, aren't they? They're a little bit scary. And they demand of us a a change in our heart. Before we dig into this um, parable that Jesus teaches us, I want to remind you a little bit of where we've been in Matthew 18. Uh, In the beginning of this chapter, we see uh, this teaching that we are to become like children. We are to become humble to enter into the kingdom of God. And the little one, the child, is the greatest in the kingdom of God who has that childlike faith and trust in God. 
Then there's warnings. Jesus warns us not to cause any little one or weak one in the faith to sin, not to give an example of unbelief or of a life that does not account uh, for God. And so Jesus has some choice words. He says it's better to have a millstone thrown around your neck and you're thrown into the sea than to cause one of his little believers to sin. Then he goes on to give general uh, warnings about sin, that it's, it's serious, it's dangerous, and we should think of it in this way, that if it's creeping into the community through us, it's better just to chop off your hand, right? Pluck out your eye. That we should think carefully about sin, not dismissing it. Then we see this beautiful picture of the father who seeks after a lost sheep, like the shepherd who leaves the 99 to find the one. And we see a glimpse of the, the heart of God going after one and rejoicing when they find that one sinner. And the uh, teaching there is that we too should share that heart to go after someone who is caught up in sin. And then we see uh, kind of the opposite of the story for tonight. We see what do we do if someone refuses to sin or refuses to stop sinning, refuses to repent? What do we do if we've been harmed by someone's sin or we've noticed someone's sin and um, they refuse to turn? And Jesus lays out basically how the church community is supposed to deal with that, confronting them gently, bringing more witnesses, finally bringing them to the church. And if there's a failure to repent, even in front of the church, then they are to be one who is considered an outsider, one who doesn't receive the forgiveness of God. And that God gives his full authority to the church to both retain people's sins if they don't repent, but also to release them of their sins in his name. And then finally, tonight, we have this parable. And we could say it, this is the, the meaning, is that forgiven people must forgive. That those who have been forgiven by the king must also share that forgiveness and mercy with those around us. But let's look at this text and walk through it, and uh, we'll consider how it applies to our lives as well. This parable is told by Jesus. It's, it's brought about by Peter's question, and this is it. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Now, we don't know exactly um, what's going on in Peter's life that would cause him to ask this, but it's in the context of reconciliation. Jesus teaching the disciples that they are to be those who give the forgiveness of God to people when they repent. And so Peter says, well, do we have to? Do we have to do that? You know, if I'm the one who been, has been sinned against or harmed, how often do I have to be merciful to someone who continually harms me? And so we don't know what's going on, but you can almost hear a little bit of hurt in that question, can't you? like a little bit of damage in his own life. Maybe someone has been mean to him repeatedly or he's continually clashed with someone and he's, he's been stung by their sin. And maybe he's thinking, do I really have to give forgiveness away if it's a repeated offense and it keeps beating me up? And so Jesus uh, replies with this parable and this instructs us as well. And I'll kind of read through it again with you. Jesus says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. 
Now, 10,000 talents is an astronomical debt. It's like impossible to understand how someone could even rack up this much debt. But a talent was a whole lifetime worth of labor's wages. Okay, so a whole lifetime of someone's work is one talent. Um, I recently read that uh, Herod, the king of Judea at the time, the ruler of Judea, his whole kingdom brought in about 900 talents in a year. That's it. And so this man owed 10,000 talents. So it's 10 times the annual revenue of the kingdom that Jesus and the disciples were in. It's an enormous amount of money. Uh, it's, it's hard to even understand how he could have racked up this much debt. He would have had to like build an entire army and then ruin it all or lose it all. But this man was in serious trouble with his debt. And so he's called before the king. Now, it says here that he could not pay this. No kidding. He couldn't even begin to pay this off with his work and his labor. And so the king said, okay, I'm going to liquidate this person's life. Sell their possessions. Sell him into slavery and his family. And whatever I can get out of this, I will uh, at least recoup some of that value. So... Verse 26, we see this. The servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Now, is he going to actually pay him everything? Not even close, right? So it's not really realistic what he's offering here. But look at the amazing reaction of the king. And this is the first kind of unexpected twist in the story. Out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. So the master, the king, he has a change of heart. His heart is moved with compassion and pity for this servant who can never dig his way out of this debt. And he goes above and beyond. He releases him. He's now a full citizen and he forgives the entire debt. Now, who takes the loss in that picture? The king. Someone, something was bought, something was owed. Who, he's just going to eat that entire loss himself. So it's not that it's, he's just dismissing the issue. He himself is going to have to burden the cost of never recouping uh, that money that is rightfully owed to him. But he has such great pity that he releases this servant as the servant falls onto his knees. And now you see what happens next. But then that same servant went out. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. Now that's not an insignificant amount of money. It's maybe three months worth of wages or something like that. But it's, it's not exactly what he owed. So it's very small in comparison. But when he sees this servant, he seizes him and he begins to choke him saying, pay what you owe. Verse 29 says, so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. It's the same exact scene. But in verse 30, he refused and went and put him into prison until he could pay the debt. And so there's this contrast happening here. It's the exact same scenario. The one who's in debt falls on their knees and is begging for mercy The king gives generous 
over and above and beyond mercy to the servant. But this servant, when something was owed to him, he refuses, right? So instead of forgiveness, we have a refusal to forgive, a a refusal to even have patience because this man could actually pay him back, but he has zero patience for him. The king is moved with pity, right? You can feel that word, this, this pity in his heart for the servant on his knees. But this man apparently has zero pity, and instead, he just wants to choke him. And so we see this huge contrast between um, the two characters, and this man sends the servant off to jail when he had been freed. Of course, the servants see this, and they don't like this. His fellow servants saw what had taken place. They were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? This is... um, the summary of this entire teaching from Jesus, that those who are given the mercy of God must also reflect that out into the world. And so this is how Jesus applies this to our lives. And this is one of the most heart-wrenching, gut-checking words from Jesus. He says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So it's not just that we could do it intellectually or mentally, but that our hearts must also be moved in the same way that the king's was moved. And so this is a a attack on the position of, of anyone who would say, yeah, I belong to Jesus but I'm not going to give mercy to those who ask of it from me. Notice, uh, this is not in the case that, like we've talked about already, Christians don't just have to chase people with mercy, chase people with forgiveness, give a blanket forgiveness to anybody. That wouldn't make sense uh, in the last teaching, right, where some people do not receive the forgiveness of God because they do not repent, this is not that situation. Where, this is the situation where someone is repentant, where someone has fallen down on their knees and is begging for mercy. In this case, the answer from the Christian must be, you are forgiven, you are free. I absorb the debt. The other thing that we could consider here is, this is not saying unless, you have to forgive first, or else God's not going to forgive you. That's not what this is saying, because that's not what happened in the story, is it? Who forgave first in the story that Jesus tells? The king. So it's not like you do it first and then I do it. No, no, no. The king did it first. The Lord did it first. And then we must follow suit. We must do as he has done, as our master has done. But nonetheless... It's a hard saying, and it says it must be from the heart. And I think this is the key to understanding this, is what's happening in the heart. And so the question I think uh, we should ask ourselves, and I think it brings us to, is how can hearts remain hard in light of God's breathtaking mercy? 
I think there's a few reasons, and this is what we should apply uh, in our lives. There's two maybe good reasons that people might remain hardened in light of God's mercy, and then there's one that I believe Jesus is really addressing. And so the two possibly good reasons is that, one, we do not actually comprehend the debt that we owe to God. So we don't think it's a big deal uh, how much we owe to the living God, the holy God. We think we don't have that much sin. We're not that bad. Um, And so it's not that big of a deal. I mean, yeah, everyone's a sinner, right? But uh, I'm a little bit better than that guy, right? And there's always that other person that I'm just a little bit ahead of. And so we can kind of fool ourselves into thinking, well, I don't really need God's mercy. I don't really need it that bad. Uh, If he happens to give it to me, that's great. But I could kind of do without it. Really, I'm doing him a favor, you know, by being in his life. And so I don't need it that much. I don't feel the, the crushing weight of my need before God. So if we, if we think this way, it's, we're not really going to think much uh, of his mercy. And I think a lot of people kind of get stuck here. We kind of think, yeah, it's not that big of a deal. And so we don't feel that, that terminal um, cancer that we have in sin. We don't feel the crushing debt. We don't understand it's 10,000 talents. We could never pay it off in a million years. And so we don't feel how much of a problem we have. Uh, Part of Lent, we've been examining God's law, God's Ten Commandments. And we've been thinking about that. And one of the things that does is uh, always reveals to us just how deep our sin goes. That it's not just in our actions, but it's in our thoughts. And it's in our hearts. It's not that we need a Band-Aid, right, because of our sin. But the scriptures say that we need an, a complete heart transplant because of our sin. That we're so far away from God's holiness that if God gave you a thousand lifetimes, you would never be any closer. You need to completely redo in your life. And so if we think that the problem that we have before God is small, we're not going to grasp his mercy either. In Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching. We'll we'll go over this in the day of Pentecost. Peter is preaching to a crowd of people, and he convinces them that they have had a hand in crucifying the Messiah, the Son of God. That they put Jesus to death by the hands of sinful men. And he proves it to them through the scriptures. And when he declares that it's because of your sin that the Son of God was killed... It says in the scriptures that it cut them to the heart, that they're absolutely convicted. And this is possibly what would make us not follow suit in mercy. We just don't understand, and we haven't been cut to the heart about our sin. But then the response of Peter is when they say, uh, brothers, what should we do? Their hearts are cut. He gives them the gospel. He says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But until they understood how deep their debt was before God, that response wouldn't mean anything to them, would it? We don't have any need. Why would I repent? Why would I be baptized? Why would I need the Holy Spirit if I 
don't have anything I owe to God. So the first thing we need to understand is just how deep the debt is that we have before God and how much it costs to undo that. And I think this story teaches us that very well. The second is that we just don't understand grace. We don't really understand the grace that God has given to us, that God has forgiven us much. There's that story that we went over uh, this Lenten season of the, the sinful woman who shows up at the Pharisee's house and she anoints Jesus' feet and she cries on his feet and dries his feet with her hair. And people are grumbling about her. She's saying, hey, if, if Jesus knew how much of a sinner this woman was, he wouldn't have anything to do with her. But Jesus' response is, no, she is forgiven much, and so she loves much. That she understood how much debt she had, and she understood that Jesus had released her from that debt. And that's what he was there to do. And so her love was great. And so I think we need to consider this for ourselves. Do we understand the gospel do you understand how much God has done to undo your debt before the holy God? Do you understand how he has taken the loss upon himself? He didn't just dismiss it, but he gave it over to his son who died in your place. Do you understand that you would never have been able to do this in a million years? That there's no way outside of this and do you understand that the Lord of hosts shed his blood so that you could not only be freed from your debt, but reinstated as a son or as a daughter? If we can see the tremendous amount of God's grace on our lives, how can this not get to our hearts? And this is really the issue that Jesus is talking about. If we can understand Every thoughtless word I've said, every thankless day that I've lived, every time I have been lazy and ignored the needs of those people around me, every time I have fallen into grievous sin or perversion or darkness or I've fallen to despair or I've hated my neighbor or I've hated God, not only the things I've done but those things that have come out from my heart, if we understand that that is what Jesus came to deal with, and he dealt with it with the blood that poured from his veins so that you could be lifted up and raised to eternal life. If we understand this costly, extravagant grace, how can our hearts not be changed? It's possible that people could not forgive somebody because they just have not comprehended the depth of the gospel and the true meaning of it in their lives. And that could be possibly a good reason why they would not forgive someone who has harmed them. But Jesus, I believe, is dealing with a third option. And I think this is why the king in the parable calls the servant wicked. Because this is not a, a case of ignorance. This servant knows how much debt he owed. He knows 
how kind and generous the king has been to him. And this is the situation that Jesus is actually addressing. It's those people who actually know the grace of God, who actually have experienced that grace of God, and yet turn to their neighbor who is pleading for their forgiveness and refuses. This is the situation uh, he's taking aim at. And this is why this servant is wicked, not just ignorant, but wicked. Because in doing this, he is spiting and despising the gift of mercy of the king. And this is the warning to us in Jesus' words that we who have been called into God's grace, who have been washed with the blood of Christ, who have been reinstated as sons and daughters of the kingdom of heaven, that we are under obligation then to share that. And if we refuse to forgive, then we don't understand the kingdom and we shouldn't be in it anymore. And the Father will actually kick us out of the kingdom if this is the attitude that we're going to have. This is one of the things that I think is happening is that uh, the servant, just like we possibly could, completely separate our relationship with God from our relationship with the people around us. That we think it's just me and Jesus time, baby. It's just me and Jesus, that's it. Me and God, and I don't need anybody else. And that grace that God gives over into our lives fails to spill out into the rest of the world. Now, dear friends, God desires to reconcile not only with you, but with all creation. Amen? And we believe that that is exactly what he will get on the last day, an entire creation that is reconciled and renewed to himself. That's what he's in this for. And so his reconciliation is shared with us, and then it is shared through us. And so if anyone says, I'm going to receive the mercy of God, but I'm going to share only the pure justice of wrath with my neighbor, then they don't understand the kingdom of God at all. And so this may be you. I don't know. I don't know exactly what's going on in everyone's hearts and lives. But I know that this is something that I struggle with. And I know that unforgiveness and bitterness towards someone who has harmed you is kind of like drinking battery acid and thinking it's going to hurt them. It doesn't do any good. In fact, it ends up hurting you. And so if you're in that place where you've been harmed, you've been hurt, and your spirit says, I'll never forgive. Know that the Lord is against that. And this is the day of repentance. That you should comprehend the mercy of God flowing over your sins. And that you should then let that mercy flow to those other people around you. That you have no choice in the matter. You must forgive in the same way that Jesus has forgiven you. You must allow the kingdom of God to expand through you, or else you will not be in the kingdom of God. And so today is a good day of repentance. Let's turn away from bitterness and wrath and slander and all, that, all those 
earthly things that we're so used to as sinful humans, the failure to reconcile, the failure to forgive is the human story. But God has called us into the divine story where he forgives us freely for the sake of Christ. There's a better way. And this is what I believe God would have all of us do. There's a beautiful story in the Gospel of John where John, or I'm sorry, Jesus meets with the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman who's had a lot of problems in her life. And he ends up saying to her, can you get me some water? And uh, in asking for water, they start talking about religion and politics. But then he ends up saying to her, you should ask me for water. Because if you ask me for water, I'll give you water that springs up into eternal life. He says, the water that I will give to that person who asks will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. So what Jesus is saying here is that when he gives to us his water, his refreshing spirit, that produces something. It wells up. It's not stagnant. It doesn't stay put. But rather, it produces an outpouring of life. It produces something that continues and splashes around and gets others wet. That it's a fountain that's given to us. And this is the way that our God calls us to be, is that as the water and blood from Jesus' side flows over us, we are to then allow that to flow into those people around us. This is the cost of our sin. This is the measure of God's love. This is what it took to reconcile the world to himself. It was the blood and water that poured from the side of the Messiah that was used. This was used on you. You have been washed free of your sins. You have been reconciled with the living God. You have been reinstated as a son or a daughter of the Most High, merciful Lord. And therefore, you must follow suit. You must allow the Spirit of God to flow from you so that not only you can be saved, but through the costly love that you offer to those people who have harmed you, they can be saved too, and that they can know the glory of the merciful King. Will you pray with me? Uh, Lord God, we see your breathtaking mercy We ask, Lord, that you would help us in this life um, not to harden our hearts to those people who ask for our forgiveness. Help us, Lord, instead to understand the depth of your love, and by your Spirit, will you let that love flow through us, that we would be willing to carry the debt for those who have harmed us, to release them from that debt, and then to reconcile with them. We pray, Lord, that by your spirit, you would do this in us, in our families, and in this church. And we pray in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen.